dude, you know what I'm saying? Nicole and Jamal. Even if the first 42 minutes were so awful, everything has gone wrong for you. You have to be willing to trust and be present in that moment. And that's that's the smallest percentage of humans I've ever seen. Michael Porter, Aaron Gordon, Nicole Yopi, that's your starting front line. You should have said that on the pod. <laughs> You're listening to the Chicken Nuggets Podcast. For real. What's up, everybody? Um, I'm back with another episode. Thank God my computer no longer has viruses. We are back in business with regular episodes. But next season, you know, the Nuggets barely have any games on nationally televised TV. So I'll be streaming games again, just trying to watch my local team here in Denver. I don't know if you heard about this, but there's no local TV provider showing the Nuggets big games for the last two years. I wanted to add a quick side note here because um, I misspoke a little bit. I got excited to telegram kind of some of the background of why my computer has had viruses. And I want to get the message out there about what's going on with Comcast and X- Xfinity and Dish Network with Altitude because I think it's important that we talk about it and I think that would help it you know, gain some momentum, get more people talking about it can help lead to a solution. And we really do need a solution, another way that we can watch Nuggets games. So if you're not talking about it, talk about it. But I did misspeak a little bit. I said no local channels or are playing out or playing Nuggets games. And what I'm technically misspoke here because Altitude is a local channel, right? And they are playing games. They do provide a service. It's just affecting a big group of people in Denver and Colorado in general because most people here have Comcast or Dish Network. So I wanted to add a little bit of information here and clarify that moment I misspoke. But the information I want to be clear about is if you are a DirecTV subscriber, this does not affect you, right? They have altitude on direct TV. So technically you can be in Denver and you can be watching games in the luxury of your own home if you have direct TV. It's just not the most used TV network in the Denver area, right? If you have Comcast or Dish Network, this does affect you. Um, Their agreement with Comcast expired on January 31st of 2019. And their agreement with Dish Network expired on Wednesday, August 28th of 2019. So today is August 23rd of 2021. We're almost at two years here. And the Nuggets and the Avalanche have played in significant amounts of playoff games. And the Nuggets have really become a must-watch team, even nationally now. And you can't watch the games if you live locally, which is just ridiculous. How do we build a fan base? How do we, you know, market these players the way that they deserve to be marketed in a city as big as Denver? And there seems to be no resolution. So you cannot watch Avs games, Nuggets games, Mammoth games, Rapids games, DU games. All of those uh, teams play on altitude. But again, to be clear, I said no where like that you couldn't watch it nowhere and that's not exactly correct you can watch it if you have direct tv at&t tv or something called charter communications then you can 
<laughs> you can watch those teams. But unfortunately, I don't. And my computer got some viruses. Anyways, back to the show. We're going on what? Yeah, their time in the bubble, their big ass run in the bubble. Nobody Wait, showed it on TV. You can't watch the games? Is that real? That's real. That's real life. How, do, how does that, my brain can't even comprehend that. <laughs> what is the, what is happening? How does that work? Yeah. Oh my God. So the Cronkies who own the Nuggets also own the um, Altitude, which is the station that plays the games. Okay. And they don't want to sign a bigger contract with Comcast. Comcast is the main TV provider here in Colorado. And so their games are not on, that channel's not on, on TV right now. So, so is there, I wow. on my computer from streaming games illegally just to watch my local home team. It's crazy. My, I hope they fix that this year, Jenna. That's rough, man. That's <laughs> tough. I know, right? And especially for, for the athletes, like the revenue streaming and all that is going to be a big part of their contracts. So it's kind of crazy. But wow. before we get too deep into everything, <laughs> um, we should introduce you to the listeners of the pod. And um, usually I let my guests introduce themselves because they do a better job of introducing themselves than I could possibly do. Okay. <laughs> but... Um, and so, well, I'll let you introduce yourself if you want, Graham. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm I'm a I'm Graham Betchard. I'm a mental skills coach. Um, I'm a proactive mental skills coach. So really, I'm like a teacher. I've been doing this work for almost 20 years, and it changed my life as a kid, being introduced to a lot of the the mental skills. And my whole life has been serving it to other people. And my passion is basketball. So I started off working with like little kids a long time ago. And uh, that's when I met little Aaron Gordon when he was 11. He was just a kid. I was just giving mental training out and, and he was super curious. So I just started helping the kids that were curious. And I've been doing that for almost 20 years. And here I am, you know, I, so I'm, I'm here in service. That's amazing. Like so incredible. <laughs> I was a teacher once and in my reflection <clears throat> of my time as an educator, I would say I should have done a lot less teaching of the stuff in the books and a lot more life skills teaching because it's so much more important. Yeah. So, so important. When were you introduced to some of the like mental health skills that you're talking about? When I was 19, Jenna, I got introduced to it. I'm 43 now. So this is quite some time ago. My first year of college basketball, I was at a junior college Cabrillo got in Santa Cruz and uh, just was having a rough time like really anxious, depressed. And I just reached out to my mom and I was like, I need help. I just, I couldn't pretend I didn't need help. And she introduced me to a woman who taught me all this cool stuff. Like way before I even knew sports psychology was a thing. I just was trying to feel better and heal. And I learned to meditate, to visualize the power of, of learning to be present, to put your focus on the task at hand, um, the power of compassion, understanding that what I do is different than who I am right before that I was identifying as a basketball player then I started to identify as a human who's choosing to play basketball that's much different you know so I started my identity started to expand and this this stuff just completely changed my life and I thought for sure this is like since this is the greatest thing I've ever been taught it must be everywhere and I started to look around and I was like it's nowhere like no one's teaching this. Then I found out there was a stigma against mental health. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> and so that was like my path set off. I'm extremely competitive. And since I got taught all this stuff that I knew was work that worked, 
mm-hmm. even though there was a stigma against mental health, I didn't care. That'd be like right now, if there was a stigma against water and you were like, I don't know if water is good for you. I'd be like, are you serious? Like water is the greatest thing of all time. I'm just going to show you how to drink it like right in front of you. And that's, that's how mental health was to me. I knew what I was taught was it. I knew it. I knew it. And so I just had to like show up and deal with all the stigmas. So I took it to basketball because it's what I loved. Mm-hmm. And I proactively just started teaching kids, little kids. And uh, so my first kind of job was a JV basketball coach. And um, just kind of how I got rocking and rolling, you know, just teaching this stuff. That's so cool. What, like when you go into teaching little kids, you said little, so. Well, I mean, like little, like kindergartners are the hardest I've ever worked with by far. They, kindergartners will spit you up and throw you out way harder than working with an NBA team. You know, I've, I've done it all. And I was like, five-year-olds are the hardest to me. So when I'm saying little, I'm talking like teenagers. I'm talking 13, 14. That's kind of like the age I've noticed where like, if you can have it make sense to a 13 year old, a 14 year old, then it can make sense to a lot of people, you know? Yeah. So like, what's something that you would go in and teach a 13 year old? Like the first thing, basic thing. Language. So mental training is language. Mm. right so when I was co- coaching a JV basketball team that's how I started so I'm working with a JV basketball team and we created a language that we would use every day mm-hmm. so we would one of the first things I would teach is win the word win stands for what's important now and it's not results and outcomes it's what's in your control in this moment so right away the first thing you teach them is to focus on what you can control and Jenna all you can control is what you're doing in this moment period you, I, you can't control what I do right now I can start doing cartwheels right now. There's nothing you could do about it, right? Like, mm-hmm. So when you're a young person, you can't control anything outside of, of what you do. So you start with that and you start with your attitude, your effort, and your focus. I need your focus on the present moment. I need your effort as high as it can be. And I need your attitude um, open-minded, right? An attitude is like, no matter how I feel, I'm going to be here and I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust my skills, period. So that's the first thing we teach. And if you think about what I just said, being present, fully trusting your skills with a great effort, that's it. That's the entire mental game. You can say it in four seconds. Now, doing it is a lifetime's work. To train your mind to focus on the present moment. Oh, it's like the hardest thing to ever in the world. It sounds easy, but no. your mind races everywhere, let alone if 20,000 people are watching you and studying what you do and they're thinking about results. So. All we do, any NBA player I work with, anyone I work with under pressure, in big moments, we say, focus on what you can control, be here in the present moment and fully trust. Jenna, that's literally the answer always. Yeah. Every athlete I've worked with, whenever they're having a tough time, they're not present and they're not trusting. That's all that's happening, mm-hmm. period. I'll say, did, did the other person stop you? And they're like, no, no one can stop. And I'm like, okay, what stopped you? They refuse to trust, even though they felt uncomfortable. Hmm. So if you can trust, even though you feel vulnerable and uncomfortable, you become unstoppable. Yeah. And that requires high, high end emotional intelligence because you have to, by definition, feel vulnerable, you yeah. know? So this means that confidence isn't a feeling. Confidence is I know the right action to do right now, regardless of how I feel. And I'm willing to do that right now. It doesn't matter how I feel. I already know what to do because if I trust right now, I'm always safe. Right? Can you see that? I can see that. I can see how hard it would be too. That's why they say this is the, it's 80% mental. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's why Aaron Gordon walks in the NBA and he's 
six foot nine. It can jump over a house and do everything. And surprisingly, you don't just like dominate every game without, you know, like, no, it is mental. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter the body you have. You got to put it together mentally, mm-hmm. you know, and that's always a big eye opener for a lot of people. But it, it is true. Now, you do have to have physical capability, of course. But when you have physical capability and so does everyone around you, it comes down to who's got the mental game down, yeah. you know, who, who understands that. So I was always proud of Aaron because Aaron is clearly physically gifted, but he would, he would try, he would work on this stuff and he would work on it when he was a teenager. When he was a teenager, your physical gifts are way more outlandish than when you're in the NBA. When Aaron Gordon was 15, it was insane watching him play in a high school game. You can imagine. It's like, it was insanity. So for him to even think about working on mindset, to me, always showed what kind of person he was. Yeah. Because most people just live off their physicality, especially when they're 15, 16, you know, and he even had the courage to work on being present back then to try to attempt to work on this stuff, you know? Yeah. That's so interesting to me because I think um, a lot of people just assume, you know, that it's rote built into, well, it's part of the routine. You know, if I put up enough buckets every day, my shot will always fall. And if I, if it's not falling in that position, it's because I haven't turned, you know, and they, they work on so many different things physically, right? Like I broke my wrist last year and I had to go to PT and work through all of like, okay, my wrist doesn't bend the way it used to bend. It's my shooting hand. That's my, the first thing my grandfather asked me, was it your shooting hand? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it was my shooting hand. I'm sorry. I don't know. My dog tripped me. So <laughs> it's so frustrating because it's like, I've been shooting the same way probably since like late high school. My shot form hasn't changed. I've always gathered the same way. I've like, I practiced it. And it is like when I finally graduated from physical therapy, I was like, okay, grab the ball and shoot it. And my wrist, oh, it hurt. It was in pain. I couldn't like, I was like, why is it not working? I'm shooting the same way every time. Right. But it's not just the muscle memory. There's a lot more to the game of basketball. And I was reading somewhere along where Aaron was talking from a young age about how he wanted to like play the game intellectually. And I'm just wondering, like when you see guys like LeBron or Jokic for that matter, have the kind of success that they have, like how much of that mental game do you notice just from like even far, far standing far away from that? I didn't work with this person personally, but see based on what is going on on the court or how they handle situations that they really are mentally focused here. It's kind of like all I see these days, you know, it's like uh, I work with strength coaches and all they see is how the body moves, you know, and they just, they can see you take three steps and they can already tell about your stride. They can tell all kinds of stuff about you. I can usually tell if someone's present and trusting pretty quick. Really? And, that, and that's all I look for. How do you know? Just, just watch them. You know what I mean? Like I just look at them and I look at their body and I look if they're in the present play. Mm-hmm. Or are they still talking about something that happened a while ago, which is where you'll find most of them mm-hmm. try trying to find justice on something that happened three seconds ago. Mm-hmm. And the only advantage you need in the NBA is a fraction, a fraction of a second of someone losing their focus and you have a layup. So I see it all the time. And in fact, that's usually the winner and loser. The team that's most present, most there, most trusting, they usually win every mm-hmm. time. So when I'm watching a player, I look at how fast they move on to the next play. So can you make a mistake and move on to the next play? And no one even noticed you made a mistake. 
So you see this, right? Here's some body language stuff. You, this is the most common stuff you'll see all the time, Jenna. Yeah, I know you see this in basketball, right? Something goes wrong. Oh, yeah. So this, right? So this is an obvious example that you are gone. Because this, this is a victim. Like, you're literally like, I'm a victim. Help me. Ref, someone, something outside of me is taking control of me. I'm a victim. You see it. Yeah. They're clearly talking about what just happened. Mm -hmm. So that's not present, right? I'm now judging what happened 10 seconds ago. Hey, I got fouled. Or what the? Yeah. So this is, it's pretty obvious. And you, and you see this with pros all the time. It's not even like this is like pros are good at this and high school kids are bad. Pros are terrible. This is the count. I'm okay. We call this palms down. So at least you're aware to choose my response. Hey, the referee just missed the call. So what next play? This is you're still in the past, a victim, completely wanting justice to happen for you, completely self thinking of your own mind. You're not thinking of everyone else's perspective. You just think something bad happened to you. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's so funny in sports. I'll talk to athletes. I'm like, do you want everything to be fair? So you want me, you want to help the other team get the calls as well? And they're like, no, I just want me to get the calls. So I'm like, you're already, that's already insane. Like you're not, this isn't like, a, so you're not thinking just, but you want justice. But yet this isn't a just thing. You're like, I want everything to go my way or else you would stop the game when the other team got a bad call, right? But like, oh no, give them that call. No one actually wants fairness, right? They yeah. want things to go their way. So this is the obvious one you see. Yeah. This is the counter. So you see palms down. You can see someone attempting. This is the obvious one for someone to see it. You'll see it in the first 15 seconds of a basketball game. Oh, yeah. All right, what? And then someone's gone from the present wanting immediate justice, which makes no sense because they don't actually want fairness for everyone. Mm -hmm. and, it, and I ask players all the time in that moment, why is that so hard? And it's really hard because feelings come into your body. That's what makes this hard. Me and you can talk about this. It's easy to actually be in your feelings and choose to be palms down and choose your response to move on to the next play with grace. That takes so much emotional intelligence. You have to willingly want to do that, to do that. You know what I mean? If yep. you're passive in that moment, you have no chance but to do this because that's how you feel. You have to like a champion. Oh my God, I got to move forward. So yeah. when I'm watching a game, that's the obvious one you see. Mm -hmm. Then it gets way more subtle the more you watch. Because once they start doing this, really, you never want to do this. You always just want to be so present that no one even knows what just happened. You're just here in this play. Mm -hmm. So that I, I look for that. I look for how fast do they move forward. I look for if they've missed four or five shots, six, seven shots in the first half, do they stop trusting their game in the second half? It's always subtle, right? You should trust your game the exact same every moment. You cannot physically unlearn how to play basketball during a basketball game. That's impossible. Yeah. But you can't stop trusting yourself, which means you won't do it, yeah. right? So I don't, I don't, the player who goes and shoots 500 shots after a bad game, but refuses to trust during a game, they're missing. They don't understand what's going on. I'd rather you not shoot extra jump shots after. Just trust your shot every play hmm. and go through how uncomfortably vulnerable that feels. That's, that's how you make the breakthrough to supreme confidence. Because then after that, you no longer avoid fear. Hmm. I mean, I'm just taking notes because I'm. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, and you I'm just. Well, go ahead. You have to embrace failure at a deep level. Yeah. To be good at it. To be, to be great at greatness. I never know who's going to want to be great, Jenna. I've been doing this work for a long time. I really never know who's going to actually do it. Meaning, who's going to go right into their fear, lean into it 
and go, I want to transcend myself and free myself from avoiding fear. I want to free, I'm going to go, I want to go right into it and purposely fail because this is a spiritual event. I want to transcend all of this. That's rare. Mm-hmm. That's rare. That's like when you tell them that's what Michael Jordan was doing, they don't really want to hear that because they just want the fame and stuff. When you actually figure out what Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant were, were what they were doing, it's not for everybody. And that's the truth. And that's, I'm, I mean, this was re- like, this is real. Like it's not for everyone because how uncomfortable it fears, feels to face your fears and live in that space, it's wild. You have to want to do that because a part of you is going to resist it the whole time. It's never going to want to do that. And you have to willingly bring yourself into that moment um, and be willing, you know, be willing to trust, be present. This is the game, right? Even if the first 42 minutes were so awful and everything has gone wrong for you, you have to be willing to trust and be present in that moment. And that's, that's the smallest percentage of humans I've ever seen. And I never, you have, I don't, you have to want to do that. I know everyone can do it, but you have to be willing to go face and live in a darkness that for most people, they don't want to do it. Now, of course, when you go face it, you, you become illuminated and you actually like, it's not awful. You'd be like, oh my God, you become the greatest of all time, right? You have a transformative awakening and that's the ones who do it. know, oh my God, why would you ever fear failure? You can feel fear, but it's nothing to fear whatsoever. So it's not like doing mental training means you don't feel fear. You feel fear. You just know it's not something to go away from. You go right towards. Hmm. I can't make someone go towards fear. You know what I mean? I can't. I can teach you all this stuff. We can meditate all day. We can do all this. But you got to be on the court. Nothing's going your way. And you're like, I'm still going to flick my wrist. Because you know what basketball is? It's flicking your wrist. (laughs) I'm being real with you, right? I'm being real. It's I'm like ironic because of my broken wrist. <laughs> I know. So that makes it tough. But if I ask a basketball player, what's hard? What's hard about basketball? Seriously, like seriously, what's hard about it? It's kind of hard to say anything. Mm-hmm. Like is shooting a three-pointer hard? A free throw? What's actually hard? Like, come on. I watch you do this all like, what's hard? Is it playing defense? Mm-hmm. I, I think being in shape might be hard. That's, yeah. that's legit. Like being in shape seems to be like, that's hard. Yeah. But in the game of basketball, you're open for a three-pointer. Is the three-point shot hard? But let's say the first three quarters, you've missed seven in a row. Now we're talking. So what's hard? The actual physical movement is a flick. That's never hard. Mm-hmm. It's your mind getting in your way saying, I'm not going to trust because what I don't want to deal with is people saying all kinds of stuff. I don't want to deal with failure. Yeah. So the, it's never hard in the physical world. It's hard in the mental world. Yeah. I could go out there. You know, does that make sense? It does. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, it may, really makes me think of, um, you know, just this last season, everything that Ben Simmons went through, mm-hmm, um, especially specifically with the three pointer, right? Like everyone harps on him about this three pointer. He put out a video the other day about his off season workout and he looks great. He, and he's shooting threes and he's shooting just running up and down the court. He looks in phenomenal form. And what did everybody have to say? Oh, that's typical always in the off season, you see videos of Ben shooting up, putting up threes. Yeah. Uh, so when you're working with a guy like Ben, which I think you have, right. You've worked yeah. with him yeah, yeah, and yeah. some other guys, Zach Levine, Kat, those guys like, and they tell you, no, I'm leaning into this vulnerability. I'm leaning into the fear. And there's still these moments, right? Like they, they're not seeing the production on the court. What's, what's next. You just, and that's when it gets kind of real of how real this is. Yeah. You know, this is real. This is real. When you realize the person guarding me is not the challenge and you realize it's yourself, 
Mm. I'm just, I'm just there for him, Jenna. You cannot force anyone to do this work. It's yeah. really, it's really hard to do this work in your twenties on TV. Most people I know don't even ever do this work in their life. Like they're still scared in their forties and fifties, just doing regular jobs, passing on anxiety and fear to their kids. You know what I mean? Like take the safest job. Don't follow your heart. I mean, just think of your own experience. So yeah. it's every, like no one's really doing this. Yeah. It's not like you look around. So when I'm, when I work with basketball players, I just have a lot of compassion for them. Mm -hmm. I just have a ton of empathy for how hard it really is to do this, mm -hmm. especially in the moment of truth in front of everyone. So like, I love Ben Simmons unconditionally. I love his family unconditionally. Um, clearly it's challenging, Yeah, you know, clearly. And so I just have empathy for him. And what I always tell people is when you're looking at a basketball player and you see that you can blatantly see when someone's having a hard time being present, right? It, it, it gets so obvious at some point they're avoiding making mistakes. They're not focused on what's important now. They're in the future worried about, I don't want to make a mistake or this and that. I always tell people, just come back to your own life and look at your own life and see if you can apply the wisdom you're seeing right now to what you're doing right now. You know, and it's hard. It's hard. Like if I were, you know, like if I was like, hey, man, go fo keep following your dreams, even if your parents are saying, you know, play it safe. Yeah. People call me all the time and I tell them that they're like, that's uncomfortable. And I like and I go, well, now you know what it's like to do mental training at the NBA level. Shit's hard. Yeah. And you got you got to sit in that while your parents tell you you're a failure for two years. You know, like Ben Simmons to get good at shooting threes would have to be really bad at shooting threes for three years. I would know he's on it if he showed video clips of him missing all the time. And once you understand that, then you know what this is. It's not making shots that's hard. You know, if you remember Michael Jordan saying, I've missed over 9,000 shots in my career and that's what makes me great. Once you understand that, then you transcend to a whole, to a different level of confidence mm -hmm. where you're not, a, you're not avoiding failure or hoping to make shots. You're like, I'm going to take the shot and that's all that counts. Mm -hmm. I don't even care what happens after that. You know what I mean? Yeah. that's rare. I'm yeah. talking, I've maybe heard of two or three players of all time who have done that. Their names are Michael, Kobe, and like maybe Steph, you know what I mean? Like, so you're talking about the single greatest of all time. So this yeah. is hard. It is hard to do it. And I never quite know the moment when someone goes, I'm like, they wake up and they go, Oh, I'm going for it. Kobe Bryant shot three straight air balls in the playoffs when he was 19. He didn't want to do that, but that's what happened. That was his wake up moment, right? It forced him to realize failing is not the end of the world. Mm -hmm. And you know what he learned after that? He learned self-love. That's what a lot of people don't know. He learned how to love himself unconditionally. Most people think they're a basketball player, only love themselves if they're playing well. That is, fra that is fragile. And so Kobe learned, I could play terrible basketball, still love myself, still have confidence, still trust my game. Oh my God, I'm unstoppable. Yeah. You know, so you almost have to have, you have to, you have to be willing to fail. Yeah. Because it's not really failure after a while. You realize it wasn't failure at all. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I'm just thinking about my life and <laughs> <laughs> some of the things that I'm going through, like, oh, okay, this is a learning opportunity. This is That's right. This is if you think, if you think about it, nothing's ever stopping you. Mm -hmm. Ever. I mean, if someone is physically stopping, we have to do something about that immediately, right? But most of the time in life, is anyone ever, like, can anyone stop you from trusting yourself? Mm. No, no, you're in charge of that. That responsibility is 100% on you. Yeah. And it may feel weird that you go, man, I've been giving that up for some reason. Why don't I just trust myself all the time? Why am I losing my power? Because there's, I don't know, something. That becomes your challenge is I'm going to face that. 
I'm going to trust myself and whatever I'm afraid of, if it happens, it happens, but not trusting myself is certain death. So you kind of look at this, like I'm going to win the fight mentally to trust and I can live with whatever happens after that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so much value in trusting yourself. Um, Just ask yourself this, is there ever a good time to not trust yourself? I think people might say yes. <laughs> I think there might be times when people would say yes, right? Like dealing with the large amount of trauma, certain situations where people might say yes, but it's because they've, they've lost kind of that, that trust in themselves, right? Like this trauma happened to me. I can't, can't re remember how to deal with life and I got to deal with this situation, but leaning into that trauma and actually going to speak to somebody about it. What happened? What did that do to you? How did that affect you moving forward? Why, you know, and then you slowly figure out like, okay, that's because that's who I was because of the trauma, not because that's who I am. Totally. So. Good points, Jenna, really good points. Really good points. Oh, I live with the mental health stuff all the time. I definitely have, have done talked with people on interviews before where, you know, in my short, short, tiny little career as, you know, aspiring career as a sports broadcaster, I can remember, like, I can even hear myself in interviews where I'm recording, talking to players, and I can hear my breath become, like, irregulated and become mm. heavy. I can hear it on the recording. I'm pointing the microphone towards the player, towards the athlete I'm, you know, uh, interviewing, and I can still hear myself, like, breathing so heavily and nervousness in my, in my breath and having to, like, listen to those recordings of myself was so uncomfortable. Mm. I'm like hearing myself not be as great as I want to be, hearing myself struggle. It, but I mean, I, I knew it was there. I was scared to listen to the audio, but I knew it was there because I felt it in that moment. Um, and it's just a matter of you, the only way I could get better at interviewing really famous basketball players in the NBA and MLB players is by keep continuing to do it, you know? And so then it's like pushing myself to, okay, that was, I was struggling for air and I was interviewing Will Barton and here comes Steph and KD into the building for the next round, you know, and I'm going to purposely force myself to be in the, in the scrum, in the media scrum to try to get a question out there to one of those guys, you know, even if it makes me uncomfortable, even if I mess it up, I got to do it if I want to get good at this. Right. So it's been a struggle. It's, it affects us all, all, all people. For sure. I think basketball players are unique, especially NBA players where you're working with these like the best of the best. So they can trust their skill day in and day out at what they're doing. So it's, it's pretty interesting, um, the work that you do. And you started trainthemind.com with Aaron Gordon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Built, a, uh, built an online gym just to make sure everyone had, has access to this. Yeah. You know, I didn't have access as a teenager. And I know a lot of people don't and they need it. So me and Aaron built this gym. I brought on about five other mental coaches. Right now we have like almost 500 workouts on there, all mental training workouts from one minute long to 10 minutes long. And they're just designed to meet people where they are. We have a partnership with the Spurs, with Arsenal over in the Premier League in Europe. And, uh, you know, this is my life's work is to make sure everyone has access to this and make sure it's normalized, you know. So it's just we just continue that mission, putting it out there. And yep. um, I always wanted people to know there's, there's a resource for you because I was that kid suffering in silence and I didn't know about this stuff, you know? And yeah. so that's why, that's why we built it. I remember I got to Aaron when he was young and he was like, wow, 
if you got it to me at this age, let's try to get it to kids earlier mm. because the earlier you can get this, the better, yeah. you know what I mean? And so, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Why do you guys, or, you know, I'm sure you guys have talked about it a lot, but why do you think there was such a stigma against mental health? And especially with athletes, we just saw pushback on Naomi Osaka files yeah. in the Olympics. And it's like, people still don't get it. You know, a lot of times people are afraid of what they don't know. That's, that's most of, of what I've noticed or just straight up ignorance. You know what I mean? Like how else do you want me to phrase it? You know what I mean? Like, uh, cause it's, it's foolish. Mental health is the greatest thing of all time. So I see a lot of fragile older people. I'm just being real here who were taught to like suck it up yeah. and pretend they didn't have things. And that's all they kind of knew is like, well, we just pretend we didn't have a problem. And we're like, we're way smarter than that today. We're going to acknowledge we have an issue and we're going to work on it. So I think to them, it comes off as like tough is not saying anything. Now we know toughness is saying something. That's way harder. Because when you say something, look, you get ripped, right? Mm -hmm. Look at Naomi Osaka. They say something. People just go crazy on them, right? Staying so, so, you know, everyone's got a strong opinion about mental health. I think it's a very personal thing, you know, to me, but it's come a long way in the last 20 years to where it is now, to where it's, it's like everywhere. It's like pop culture now. It's, it's all over the place. So I, I think it's like a really good time for it. And all this stuff that's happened in the Olympics, I know it's pretty jarring for everyone. You're like, I can't comprehend uh, Simone Biles, like pulling out of the Olympics right before, you know what I mean? But like, what if you found out she doesn't even like it? You know what I mean? Like, why is she doing it anyway? She thinks she cares about winning. She's won everything for the last seven years. feels like a business at a certain point. So why, why would you force yourself to do something that you don't want to? What's, what's stronger? denying yourself and doing something you know is not right for you or having the courage to do what you know is right and then whatever people say is what they say so I haven't worked with her or anything like that but you know I always I just think all this stuff is just pouring out right now and we're learning how to have language to talk about it we're learning how to communicate about it and I, I mean you know it I just think it's a really cool time for all this because it's everywhere and um you know, it's just kind of snowballing in real time, you know? Yeah, it is really exciting. I think that the, the conversation is out there. Um, and I'm always not sure how to talk about it with people. I don't know why, if that's because like of the past and kind of how we were raised or, or what the, why that hesitation is there, but it's always like a fear even like, oh, should I bring that up with somebody? You know, like maybe that's, yeah. Maybe this isn't the space. Maybe they don't want to. And especially when it comes to athletes, right? Like we, yeah. we had Will Barton on, Will Barton still on the team with the Nuggets, good friend of Aaron Gordon's, I think. They traveled together this off season now. So it seems like they're friends. Yeah. And, you know, Will went, has gone through some very hard up and downs here in Denver uh, and over the last year, two seasons with the pandemic and the bubble yeah. season, he lost, he lost a, a brother, like a cousin who's like, it was like a brother to him, um, in a death, like in a murder that was in the middle of the season. It was right, uh, around a time. And he was, he played, had a few bad games and was getting booed by the home crowd and this was devastating for him, you know, and then the pandemic yeah. hit and everybody went into their kind of their own little zones. 
And I, I'm just curious, like during the pandemic, kind of what was your feedback to players in order to stay focused and to stay in the moment? And, and when all of this chaos, then George Floyd and all this stuff is happening, you know, and that that's their real life. And, um, you know, you said it yourself, I'm a, a human who plays basketball. So that human part of these athletes, they, they're humans and they're, they're black men in this world that is also killing black men. So it's like, Over. what do you, what's the feedback you're giving to them in that kind of this really chaotic time of our world? <laughs> man, what, you know, my feedback always to people is this is an everyday practice. And for a lot of people, this might've been their big wake up moment. You know, when COVID hit, it kind of like, I didn't have to warn anyone about mental training anymore. It was like, oh, it's here. Like if you, you everyone knows that mental training, no matter who you are, what profession, what field, you now know mental health is everything. So as soon as it all hit, the first 16 years of my career, I was like yelling at everyone, like, hey, wake them, like, wake up, this is here. And they're like, I don't know, Graham. Like, and then COVID hit and everyone crashed, right? And everyone got rocked hard. So what I did with most people is just have a lot of empathy and compassion for them. And then we just start practicing and you try to build yourself back up because a lot of people fell off hard. It, it crushed people. And if you've never worked on the inside or any of these inner skills or dealing with vulnerabilities or not knowing what the future was going to hold, this rocked people, you know? So I tried to be there for them and just try to have a lot of compassion for them and then bring it back to let's practice today. Let's work on being present today because where's the fear? People just don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. The truth is you never knew what was going to happen tomorrow. You just lived in an illusion and thought you knew, but you never really knew. You don't know what's going to happen in five minutes. That's the truth. I don't know if there's going to be an earthquake in 10 seconds right now. So now living present is way more real. And you're like, I've got to bring myself back here because fear is captivating people in the future. All this unknown of what's going to happen and this and that. And we got to come back to where our feet are, be present and really work on that skill. So it just became really real for everyone. Those that had been practicing this for a while, they seemed to be a little more grounded because mm -hmm. they were like, and the ones who just woke up and were like, what is this? Like, this is their wake up moment. That's a great moment, but it can be very jarring. Mm -hmm. And uh, because your old way of life is gone in a moment because it, it no longer exists and you have to adapt. So a lot of this, Jenna, is just how well do you adapt? How well can you be comfortable being uncomfortable? That's the skill. We, we call it wavy, being wavy, like energy is waves, pressure is waves. Mm -hmm. How well do you ride the waves? It's not like resist the wave, make them be smaller. It's like, no, their waves are big right now. The waves are bigger than anyone's ever seen in anyone's lifetime. And it's the big, and it just compounds. It gets bigger and bigger. So how well can we work on grace right now? How well, well can we work on poise? How well can we work on our breathing? Now breathing is real. You may not have thought it was real. Now you're like, holy shit. Like, let me learn. All this meditation stuff is real now. All this stuff, right? How do I function, man? It doesn't matter that I have $80 million. How do I function, Graham? So a lot of it became your relationships, your money, your status. None of that matters. Mm -hmm. It became, do you have an internal skill set to function during the wildest time in anyone's life, you know? So yeah, my whole life's been like that. I jumped into mental health and there's a stigma. So I felt like my whole life was already this crazy thing. So my life is actually calmer now than it's ever been. Now that mental health is a thing, I've, I now feel like I'm now a normal person. The previous 17 years, I was just abnormal dude doing some weird shit that was like, you know, and now all of a sudden this is like pop culture. And I'm like, oh, now I just, this is just a regular thing. Now yeah. everyone's aware, now everyone's aware, you know? Yeah. So 
Um, but yeah, no, that made a lot of people face, look in the mirror, you know, mm -hmm. when look at their own behaviors, look at their own actions. How do they, how do they hold relationships with people around them? What's going on? How do they react in moments like this? Mm -hmm. How do you react when fear hits you? A lot of people reacted insane, you know, just kind of lost their mind. Are we doing this, Jenna? Remember, let's go back to our skill set. Or are we like, wait a second, palms down. I'm in COVID. I'm with you. Yeah. Let me take a breath and choose my response. I'm not going to react mindlessly. I'm going to choose my response. Yeah. So that's, that's, this is where we are, you yeah. know? Um, that's such a good habit to build just for all people, right? Like not just mm -hmm. people who are professional athletes playing at intensely high levels, but just all of us, like, That's right. let me think about how I'm going to react. Right. If everybody just thought that way before they sent out their tweet, like if you do this, if you think, think of the word respond over react, it comes down to the subtleties. It's so subtle. Choose your response. Don't react. Mm -hmm. I can, you can make people react to the stupidest shit just because it's reactionary, right? Like if um, referee misses a call, this is the reaction. This is choosing your response. Mm -hmm. This is way more empowering. You do this 10 times, you know what a referee does? They end up giving you calls. Mm -hmm. You do this every time. You think you want to, anyone wants to be around this type of person all <laughs> the time? No one likes that person. Yeah. If you yeah. go up to a ref and say, don't worry, that call won't, that, that's all right, man. Don't worry about that. You know what happens inside if you have the capability to have that emotional intelligence? They're not going to say it out loud, but you'll get calls. Mm -hmm. They won't say it out loud, but that's how that, that's human. Yeah. But you have to choose your response. Yeah. Which means you got to feel vulnerable and not act on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, that's why this is, this is the whole game. Mm -hmm. All we have now, Jenna, is our own energy. That's the only thing that's real. You know what I mean? That's what we bring to the table. This is what we bring into every presence, every situation. We bring our energy to it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's such a cool way to think about it because it does actually give you the power. I'm responding. I'm choosing this. You didn't do anything to me. Oh. You chose. You made your choice. <laughs> I'm gonna choose my choice. There and, it is. and there were so. I mean, we're talking high school basketball. You know, I played overseas in Germany a little bit, but I can remember, especially in Germany, like. I was starting point guard. I definitely did not think I should start over this other girl from Loyola. Uh, I think she was from Loyola or from Pepperdine. She was from Pepperdine. And I was like, I should not be starting over her. She's way better than me. But I was starting over her. And I just remember like starting, it stressed me out so much. It was this great opportunity. And instead of letting it be this great opportunity for me, I let it stress me out so much. And every single mistake I made, I let my, you know, I look at my bench, see if my coach noticed. And eventually, guess what? I didn't start anymore, which I thought, this is great. I'm great off the bench. I love coming off the bench, right? Uh -huh. I'm also holding myself back from being a starter, from being more successful, which is the position my coach had put me in originally. So it's like, I, I definitely can see how my mindset, had I changed it a little bit could have been better. Think about coming back to trusting your game after making mistakes, stopping the action of looking at your coach, making your body stay on the court, and then making yourself trust again. This comes back, it's hard to trust your game every time, right? Because you make a turnover and you probably tell yourself, don't trust your game. Yeah. And, and there it is, it's done. You miss a shot and you say, I'm gonna pass the ball. I'm done shooting, I'm passing the ball, I'm gonna pass it to whoever's making shots, right? 
And there's definitely moments. My coach would say next play, next play, next play all the time and try to keep that motivating us and stuff. But there were times I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Next play, next play. But in my, the back of my head, I'm like, cause I messed up that play, <laughs> you know, next play, because that was my, you know, my mess up, my bad, my bad guys, you know, and, and it's just definitely a different way to think about things. What do you, um, you know, there, the Nuggets have a unique, a very cool lineup, right? We got guys yeah. from Bull, who's super interesting and intriguing in the league. Aaron Gordon, yeah. all these guys from different countries. It's um, And then, of course, you have Michael Porter Jr., who's this young guy who's been probably the best player on every court he's ever been on um, up until now, right? And he really, I think, I, at least myself, I, I've criticized his effort in the game because he sat courtside for an entire red shirt year and he still seemed to like struggle with the running the plays and stuff like that. Um, but he does a lot of looking at the coach and there is a lot of distrust between coach and player there. There's a lot of Mike Malone getting mad and calling a timeout and pulling the guy. There's a lot of, so how much does that relationship between the coach and how much of this kind of mental health, stuff our coaches getting in the NBA, at least at this point that you've seen so far, because I think a coach can really either add to that, that feeling, that mental health feeling of like, you know, I'm looking at my coach for a reason. If my coach lets me make mistakes and, you know, doesn't make a big deal every time, then I'm not looking at my coach so often, but it, you know, it's a situation where every time I make a mistake, my coach, I can hear my coach in my ear yelling, you know, what, I, I'm just curious if there's anything being taught to coaches as well. Oh yeah. For, I mean, for sure. How to empower your players, you know, and mo the best I've seen with coaches is when they don't pass on fear and anxiety to their players, you know, they're able to uh, allow their players to be present and allow their players to trust. And a coach has to coach, you know, I'm not saying if you're working with a young player who doesn't know what's going on or something like that, but ultimately you're trying to empower people. And what I've noticed about the coaches when they become aware of their own energy, when they become aware of what they bring to the table, for example, telling someone don't miss the shot. We got to make that. What do you really say? You don't think everyone's trying to make the shot, <laughs> right? What you're really saying is coach, you're scared. And that affected you. You know, what if you said, don't worry about that. Keep trusting your game. Every play. That's mm -hmm. way different. That's a coach that has confidence. That's like, whether I get fired or not, I'm still going to empower all my players. I'm not saying that's easy, mm -hmm. but the coaches that I've seen that have made a lot of progress, they're aware of how they deliver the information and they're aware that that has meaning. Clearly it affects people. Clearly it affects, you know, people, how you talk to them. So for sure, you know, I see it all the time with coaches. They, they know how big this is. So I see that just being more and more everywhere, the value of mindset, you know, the value of all this stuff. And, um, you know, I had a chance to be the director of mental training for the jazz for two years and work with Quinn Snyder. And it's just an incredible experience. And I was away from home all the time. So I just, I miss my wife and kids and we weren't going to move to Salt Lake. We live in California. And when I left them, I helped them. They have, um, their program was doing great. Mm -hmm. It's like a great program, but you have someone like Quinn Snyder who absolutely is like living this stuff and loving this stuff. Eric Spolstra living this stuff and loving this. I mean, you know, Popovich was doing it. Everyone knows about Phil Jackson. Um, and then you got like Monty Williams, an incredible coach. You know what I mean? Like you're, 
Mike Malone, you're seeing it everywhere now. I honestly don't see how you can be a coach and not be aware of this at this point, you know, yeah. as you're coming up in the coaching ranks, you know, it's, uh, it's paramount, you know? Yeah. 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 I heard um, one of your slogans is um, to play with, play competitive and like play com with competitive and with compassion. Yeah, there you go. Right. Competitive compassion. Yeah. Tell us what that means because I am really competitive, but I'll tell you really honestly, I, I'm not very compassionate. I'm usually very competitive with my family. We love to play like board games, card games, you know, we're, no one's compassionate in those moments. So let's think of you. You were so competitive. If you refused to trust your game after making mistakes, I would say you needed a lot more compassionate in that moment. Cause if you had compassion, you would have trusted your game again and competed. You took yourself out. So competitive compassion dominates regular competitiveness. Okay. Cause think about it, right? You were saying I turned it over and looked over my coach and mm -hmm. then like stop trusting competitive. It is I'm going to do this shit again. And I have so much compassion about myself. I can live with it. And if you don't have the compassion to live with yourself after failing, you'll stop competing. You'll literally refuse to compete. So it's the self-compassion that allows you to go out there and fail over and over and over again and compete. Or else you're like, I don't want to miss anymore. I literally don't have enough compassion to deal with my own self if I miss. So I'm out of here. And so we're not taught compassion is a killer instinct. But compassion is where all the killers lie. And if you don't have compassion, you'll refuse to make a mistake, right? Don't you see that? Yeah, yeah. And we're not taught that. That's why I had to make up all these words because I'm like, in the English language, we were so off on how we viewed all this stuff. I had to be like, wait a second, competitive compassion. What is wrong with you? Like, compassion will whoop your ass. And if you don't know that, you're going to get your ass whooped every day. And at the end of your career, you can look back and say, I was the one who had no compassion and I refuse to trust my game, I beat myself. Yes, that's a mediocre competitor. You know what I mean? A superior competitor has elite compassion. And they're like, I'm down to be present and trust. I will destroy you. I see how heated I get. It comes out at me in this moment because once you understand compassion wins, look at Giannis at the free throw line in the finals. Mm -hmm. What do most people do when they can't make a free throw? Avoid being aggressive. Mm -hmm. He just kept doing it. And in the biggest moment of his life, he made 16 of 18. Yeah. Now he knows compassion wins. You know what's going to happen now? Next level. He like his, He's going to be so calm in those moments because he has nothing to fear because he knows compassion. Yeah. So competitive compassion, lethal patience. Patience. You have to have lethal patience and walk to, and walk to win. Everybody, Jenna, is running to results everybody is running to results like a chicken with their head cut off. They have no idea what they're doing. They're running away from the present moment and they're just running because they're scared. So you have to walk to win. You have to have lethal patience and you better show competitive compassion. And if you don't want to do those three, so I tell people, you can never talk to me about wanting to win ever because you don't. <laughs> you simply are in some feeling world and you want to avoid feelings. That's fine. But let me be real with you. You're not competitive and you don't want to win. And at least you can live in that truth now. Now we can live in truth. And when I say that to players, it hits them so hard because yeah. no one wants to hear what I just said, right? No one wants to hear that you're really not the one because you're refusing to do it. But let's, that's okay. Let's, let's live in that truth. Just tell yourself, I'm not that guy. I refuse to trust. I'm not, I'm not that competitive. Live in that truth. Don't pretend you are because that'll eat you alive.
Now, if you are competitive, you got to have tremendous compassion because what we're really going to be dealing with is feeling vulnerable all the time. So if you can be like, I'm down to feel vulnerable. I have so much compassion for myself. Then you will unlock greatness and you will unlock real competitive nature. Most people are playing checkers, Jenna, right? So if they see a move, they get all excited. They're like, oh, I'll go jump that person. And if they're sophisticated, they think they're playing chess. You're still playing a game of weakness where you're trying to take from someone else and it's fragile. I play a game of just giving. I'm like, just take all the chess pieces. Now what? What do you need now? And what I say by that is when you're playing, if you have compassion, you're like, no one can take anything from me. You can't. Can you take my trust from me? No. I'm down to, I'm down to miss every damn shot. Coach, yank me out of the game. Just do, do what you need to do. But I'm not going to stare at you and hesitate. Mm-hmm. Sit me down. What's the worst case scenario? I sit down next to you. Is that dangerous or something? Right. You know what I mean? You see how it's like, I can start breaking it down. You're like, what, what is this? What are you actually afraid of? Mm-hmm. And then we're like, I don't know, a feeling? Because I'm not in danger. Worst case scenario is I sit down next to my coach. Like, what? That's, what's that? That's nothing. That's sitting down. He's not going to kill you. Yeah. You're not even really facing anything real. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, what, so, so this is it's true. You're literally bouncing a ball around and throwing it at a cylinder. That has no meaning whatsoever. There's 8 billion galaxies, Jenna. You think this matters? You think a basketball matters? You think it does anything to a galaxy a billion light years away? This means nothing. But inside, it has a ton of meaning, right? Right. So if you can work on that, because it has no meaning on the outside. It's irrelevant in the galaxy and the universe. It has nothing. But inside, there's a lot of meaning to it. So if you can just work on compassion, you work, because that has, that's way more powerful than avoiding failure. Mm-hmm. If you can be willing to be compassionate, you can't be stopped. If you're willing to trust every single time, even if you have no reason to trust and you're so shook and scared, don't know what's up from down, still trust. See what happens. Yeah. Yeah. You, you see why I don't know who's going to do this work? <laughs> it's hard work. It's really hard because you're talking yeah. about being com- compassionate towards ourselves. Even. Yes. The hardest thing in the world. It's so hard because I don't, I honestly, when I read competitive compassion, I was like, this is like contradictory, like oxymoronish, because I never think of compassion as something for myself. I always think about it as something I give to others. I having compassion for yourself is the most important thing. How can you give something to others that you don't even possess giving to yourself? How can you lead someone someplace you've never been? How's that possible? The most important person to have compassion for is yourself. And then you can lead other people through it. If I'm smoking cigarettes right now, telling you not to smoke cigarettes, does that work? No. (laughs) Right. You have to already be there. And someone will be like, damn it. How are you so present? And you'll be like, I have compassion. And they'll be like, oh my God, I didn't even know that was a thing. You're like, watch, I'm so present. I have compassion every day. I'm down to be vulnerable every second. That's how competitive I am. Because I know basketball is what I do. It's not who I am. Yeah. I'm a spir- I'm a spiritual being living the human experience, choosing to take an orange cylinder and fucking throw it at a rim. That's all I'm doing. Yeah. And, and, and if that's what I have to do every play, I'll do it every play. I'm not going to look at my coach. Coach, take me out if you need to. I, that's irrelevant to me. Now, if you want me to look at you because it's a coaching thing, sure. But I'm not going to hesitate. No, <laughs> never. Yeah. Never that. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, when you hesitate and don't trust, you know what you have to deal with? Shame guilt and regret the most devastating energetic experience of your life so i would rather miserably fail on a basketball court than at the end of the day deal with shame regret and guilt 
And what Kobe figured that out. Michael figured that out. That's why they could fail horrendously and feel euphoric energy mm. because they didn't fail at all. The right. only failures you don't trust. You think a ball going in or out of a rim? What a failure? What does that even matter? Failure to who? Mm-hmm. To like, to what? It's made up. Would you yell at a baby who was learning to walk and they fell down? Would you yell at them for, fa- <laughs> for falling? No. no, you'd be like, this is a totally natural process. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> ah. <laughs> Yeah, that's just, it's just so incredible the work that you're talking about and like the way that, that is the language that changes yeah. the way that you think about this um, is just something that I think like a lot of, a lot of people, especially fans, you know, probably don't think about too often. That's why I built Train to Mind. Nobody is. And I was like, man, we, first of all, I had to win for a long time. Once I won for a long time, long time, then I could say how this works and you can't like refute what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't just say, I have some principles. I had to go live this for a while. Yeah. I met Aaron when he was 11. You know yeah. what I mean? Like he's 25. So this, this is nothing new for me. I'm just like, man, if you can start practicing this stuff, this is all about progress over perfection. Just start practicing today, practicing today, practicing today. This is a skill set. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the, the, if you're competitive, you have to win the fight to be present and trust. You have to. Whatever is in the way of you being present and trusting, you have to win that. Mm-hmm. And if it's a whole bunch of self-doubt, a whole bunch of fear, we don't eliminate self-doubt and fear. You say self-doubt and fear, you're welcome to be here. Boy, you feel horrendous. And my brain is racing and so many crazy thoughts, but I'm still going to trust. So here, this is the chaos that we live in in this present moment. It's not some serenely perfect clear mind everything's beautiful it's there's absolute chaos in my mind right now i can hear every self-doubt i've ever thought of popping up right now in the worst moment of my life and i'm still gonna trust my skills <laughs> that's it yeah and then you trust and then later on you feel euphoric because you just won the mental game mm. you just beat fear so it's not that you get rid of fear then trust you sit fear on your lap and go i feel fear but i'm gonna do it anyway i'm gonna flick my wrist man you know if you're playing basketball violin i'm gonna do this most actual movements in life are very simple very easy they're not really complex movements here in this world yeah the only complex thing is in your mind right all movements out here are simple this Mm -hmm. is most basketball movement um a baseball movement you know it's it's a movement golf golf no one's even trying to stop you you know (laughs) what i mean so once you get down to what's the simplest movement I do here for my sport in this world, I'm going to do that every time, regardless of how I feel, regardless of what the energy is, regardless of anything, I'm going to do that every time. Mm. And then you're, you're looking at Steph Curry, right? When you, when that, that's what Steph Curry is. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what does he do? He pushes off his foot and flicks his wrist. That's all he's doing. He might push to the side. He might push back. He might push forward and then flick and then flick. It's never harder than that. Now he'll do that after 10 straight times of it not going in, Yeah. right? That's what's remarkable about that. Right. Okay. But the, so he knows, and I know this because I know his trainer and I know they figured out the essence of his movements and he figured that out after breaking his feet and you get it down to the essence and you go, I'm just going to do this simple movement every time. Mm-hmm. And I'll be damned if I do that every time, I think I'm the greatest shooter to ever play the game. Right. So it's a flick and you master your mind and then you got to be in great shape. You got to be in shape. Yeah. I'm not like sliding, being in shape is hard. You yeah. know, you got to be able to run around. But 
this now everything I'm saying is just my own philosophies. I'm not saying this is some sacred truth or anything like that. I'm just saying this is what I've noticed over doing this for 17, 18 years. This is what I teach people, but it's not like the only way. You know what I mean? There's a whole bunch of ways to do it. Yeah, but I mean, it it is a way, like you mentioned, that's kind of popular right now, I guess, or finally popular. Yeah. In the realm of pop culture and being spoken about and and being accepted widely accepted as far as like you know i have a little little <laughs> mentor and she's always like i i was manifesting this morning and you should see all these manifestations coming true and she'll tell me and she's all you know, right going into her sophomore year of high school and i'm like okay. so exciting to hear i'm so proud of you you know and she's like this is what i wrote down these are the things i like about myself and a lot of it is just really kind of getting into that mental game and, and being able to, I think, you know, just as if you're a parent, if you're an aunt, an uncle, like these are things that we should be passing down to kids, right? Because so much of that anxiety and fear to lean into fear has been what the message has been for so long. Like, you know, don't go for that bigger job. Don't try for that scholarship. Don't, you know, try out or something because whatever the fear is behind the don't, right? You don't end up doing it because you're scared of failing or you're scared of uh, not getting the scholarship or not making the team. And it's always like, what's the, exactly like you said, what's the worst thing that could happen? And it's so much easier to tell other people, right? Like when I tell my little mentee, I always be like, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen if you don't try out for the volleyball team? She'll be like, I won't make it. And it's embarrassing. And I won't, you know, she's got a good, pretty good list of real things that are real to her as hot, you know, really hard. That would be hard for her, but you know, then we practice and we learn and we get better and we go at it again. And, and I always see her, her fears as like, Oh, that's doable. But then when I see my own fears, I, I can't say that to myself. Right. <laughs> you gotta be credible. You know? yeah, you have to be also willing to live it and do it too so I just really appreciate you being on with us and being able to like tell us all of these things I and Aaron you met him even younger than I I mean than my mentee is right now so I was just curious if you have any good stories funny stories moments yeah. where you were like oh wow uh, I see I it. remember um well I met him when he was 11 I was at a basketball camp in Oakland and I asked I need a volunteer. This little hand popped up, you know, a little kid with like a headband on. And I was like, all right, little man, come on up. And I had him throw a golf ball into a little garbage bucket, just a little exercise. And I knew the golf ball was going to bounce out of the bucket. It wasn't going to stay in. And so I was like, all you got to do is get it to stay in the bucket. He was like, all right. And all I was going to work on was how are you going to respond after you fail? And he didn't know that. And he throws it in and he misses and he like loses his mind. And I'm like, man, it's all about how you respond, you know, and that's, we call it next play, right? Learning how to like keep going forward and doing that. Mm. And then I didn't, we, that was it just at a camp. And I go on with my life. And two years later, um, someone is like, hey man, come down and work at Midi High School, which is in San Jose. There's a kid coming there who's special. He's different. Mm. And I was like, okay, I'll come work with them. And I came down to do a workshop with Midi High School. And I was doing a, a mental training workshop with the varsity team. And, you know, it was varsity. So I do my workshop and after I say, say, is there any questions? And this long ass arm in the back of the room raises his hand and he goes, he goes, man, I'm Aaron. He goes, I have no idea what you were just talking about, but where I'm, he goes, but where I'm going, I need that. So I need you to do this whole, I need you to do it again. 
And in that moment, he was 13 years old. Wow. He was the youngest kid in the room with a bunch of, you know, 17, 18 year olds. And he was blatantly admitting he had no idea what was going on. And he said, you need to do that again because where I'm going, I need that. And I knew right then how special he was. Mm-hmm. He had the willingness to be vulnerable, to say he didn't know what was going on. All the seniors pretended like they knew what was going on. No one knew what was going on. He just was like, what the hell was that? Like, do it again. And I knew right away he was special. And he was 13, so he was tall and kind of gangly. But it wasn't until he was like 15 that he kicked in where he became, you know, Aaron Gordon, you know, like a man child. But I knew he had the mindset right then that was really special. He was so confidently aware that he didn't know and he needed to ask, where most people in that moment are too ashamed to say they don't know what's going on. And he was like, no, give it to me. Then after I was like, hey, man, let me know if you want me to mentor you. He was like, absolutely. So I started mentoring him at 13, right? And then after his second year in the NBA, I'm doing a workshop in San Francisco. And he came to look at the workshop. He was playing the Warriors at the time. And he was sitting at the workshop and I'm talking like this company and I'm telling the story of meeting Aaron Gordon when he was 13 and how I knew he was special. He was the only one who had a question. And then in the middle of the workshop, he was like, wait, he was like, wait, he goes, Graham, I was that kid at that camp in Oakland. He goes, you, you were that guy. Cause we didn't, and I was like, oh. and I was like, that was you. And, we, and like, we, we just had a moment where we realized we had met when he was 11. And I vividly, I didn't know that was Aaron Gordon. It was so it like eight, nine years later, he stopped the workshop and like blew it up. And then we had like a moment of like, we were, we've already been together. Yeah. And that's when you just like life is so wild. Like you just, you never know who you're around, you know, it's yeah. like, and I had a good friend who told me, treat everyone you meet like they're already in the NBA. Mm. Like he, he knew I wanted to go to the NBA. So I was treating every kid I met like they were NBA players with like the ultimate respect, like everything. And that's how I did it. So that's how I met little Aaron. And um, we didn't even realize we were like already working together before he was 13. So he, he's an amazing guy. Like just, just like a hardworking, fun loving guy. We're both from the Bay area, you know? So I, my heart's always really big for him. You know, I like care about him a lot. My family likes him. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's just one of the original teenagers I worked with from the area that, that I was from, you know? So yeah. he's a, uh, no, he's amazing. Yeah. But that was a fun moment to realize we'd already been working together and for him to, him to interrupt my workshop. You know, I was like, whoa, like, this is great. That's awesome. That's so incredible. <laughs> and I just think um, some of the things that you're describing about him already kind of have shown, shown through in his short time here in Denver so far. Okay. Okay. Like there's just some things like you know, well, lingering complaints at the end of the season from fans about his offense, right? But yeah. when, but when you look at the box score, you typically see offensive numbers. You're not really able to see the defense and stuff. But I was at those games, and I would always tell fans like, "No, but did you see the next play right after that? He did this, or did you see the defense yeah. that led to that or to that this play? You know?" And there's there's just a lot of that. Like he's just got his head down and he's moving forward. He's ready yeah. to go. Um, he's a really hard worker. He, there was like one game I sat right behind him on a, on the bench and he was there for longer than I thought he should be just because of the way the game was going. And he was just in the moment, totally like engaged in what was going on. Did not care that he was on the bench was not, you know, there are guys on the Nuggets who you have 
you know, poke and coach, like, let, yeah. me, let me get in there. I need to get in there and always, um, kind of upset when they get pulled upset when they have to sit and, and Aaron's just not one of those guys. We haven't got to know him very well yet. You know, we've only had a few moments of time to do interviews, time to get to know him deeper and stuff, but, but the hard work ethic and the like loving basketball just wants to go out there and do, do the best he can do. And, and the, the hands down kind of be, uh, model that you did at the beginning I was like oh that's so Aaron like he I've never seen him complain to a ref and Jokic used to complain so much like even local fans were like oh it's so annoying because <laughs> it is. it's just like he would complain after every single call and in his last season this last season we didn't see that as much and and then in the bubble time just really got messed up with the bubble for me. So I always am like, wait, this season? Bubble season. Yeah, you're like, what year is it? What's what going year? on? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, in the bubble, he really did kind of have a lot more control. And we, I think we were all kind of noticing him descending into his MVP year thinking that had a lot to do with it. He's not complaining about refs anymore. He's just focused on himself and his own game. And I think that that really did improve so I'm excited to see what Aaron does as far as the yeah. leadership role on this team you know he there's not very many guys who are older than him it's a pretty young team so maybe he can kind of fill in and be that voice of like you know next play let's just focus on yeah. the it um what were your three principles again you said trust your game be trust your game be present and accept what's going on. I mean, that's kind of the main things is trust and accept. You yeah. know, if you're present, you're trusting and you're, you're accepting. Most of the time we're seeking, winning and avoiding loss. You have to accept that either one of those is gonna happen and just trust. Mm -hmm. The most powerful thing you can do is trust and accept and be willing to do that every play. It's the one thing you have control over, right? In this moment right now, I'm fully trusting and I'm gonna accept whatever happens, Right. you know? And of course, I want to win and make every shot and limit them from making any shot. But after I set my intentions there, I'm going to let go and we'll see what happens. But no one can stop you from trusting and accepting. You hold yourself accountable to that. Yeah. And if you got to be uncomfortable, be, be comfortable being uncomfortable. Know that victory goes to the vulnerable. You just do not want to look back at the end of the day and say, I didn't trust and accept or else you will be devastated if you do that. And then that tax is so devastating to your energy. It makes it hard to do it again. It's just, it's devastating. You know, I, like if you just trust and accept, you're always safe and clean. Always. Right. You may got your ass whooped on the court, but you're like that, yeah, fine. They're just better. But, and you can actually, you're actually okay. Mm -hmm. If you trust and accept and give everything you have and get your ass whipped, you can live with that. You're mm -hmm. like, damn, they're just better. I, I, you know that when they're better. Mm -hmm. But when you don't trust and accept, it devastates yourself and you can't live with that. It hurts. It hurts too much which is what's so hard about being an NBA player, right? Like for those of us who are using <laughs> principles in our day-to-day -day life, we might be facing one moment and then the next moment is very far away from yeah. the last moment. So I got some time to like be devastated if that's the course I'm choosing and be upset because I didn't trust and accept myself. But with NBA players, they probably have a game tomorrow or the next. <laughs> it never stops. It's, uh, <laughs> it's cool and it's also challenging. It's cool because you know, no matter what, hey, look, the hardest thing to do in sports is be consistent, period, period. Anything can do it. Anyone can do it every once in a while. It's how do I do this every day? 
How do I bring the same approach, the same presence, the same trust, regardless of how I feel? How do I do that when I'm exhausted? How do I do that when I feel scared? How do I do that when I didn't sleep last night, when I'm hyped, right? That's the challenge is, is that, you know what I mean? And uh, if, if you're willing to face that challenge, the greatest feeling is beating yourself and not defeating yourself. It's the greatest feeling in the world, you know, because you, you essentially learn to free yourself when you take that responsibility and realize all of it is within your power, all of it. I can't do this, powerless. No, I'm going to own my shit. Palms down. I got it. <laughs> I'm going to own it. Man, I want to be a victim and blame everyone. I'm just not going to do it. And yeah. I'm going to own and I'm going to trust. And then we're going to deal. And we're going to deal with whatever happens, you know? Yeah. I love that. I've heard it called radical responsibility before. The owning. Okay. Like, yeah. yeah. Responsible for what I can be responsible for. And that's it. So. And listen, the cool thing is you mentioned you're competitive. Put your competitive nature into that. This is where if you have that competitive nature, flip it, tell it to make sure you're always being radically compassionate, compete at that, like your life's on the line. So you can take all that firepower you have and put it into all the mental skills. And then you be, now you're becoming a presence. Mm-hmm. Now you're becoming potent here in this moment because your competitiveness is I'm going to compete to trust and accept no matter what. And if you have to cut me today, send me home, or if I have to vomit on myself, so be it. But I'm winning the competition. I'm going to win this competition and I'm trusting and accepting, period. Mm-hmm. Everything else after that, negotiable. But that's not negotiable. You right. can cut me, send me home. Every time I have players do this and they do it, they're always so afraid they're going to get cut or something like that. You know what happens? They get promotions. Mm-hmm. It's like you're always thinking of worst case scenario. I'm like, don't you know that all things are possible when you do this? What do you think happens when you trust and accept every play? You're going to ball out. Like they just think this one thing is going to go wrong. And you're like, you could have a thousand things go right. Yeah. Who cares if 12 things go wrong? Trust and accept, trust and accept. Um, I've been doing this for like 17 straight years. It's not even like I have to believe in it. This is like gravity. I know this works. Yeah. And I'm just like, please just do it. Please just do it. Just do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I love it. And everybody can do it because of the trainyourmind.com or train online, right? Yeah. It's, we, we all have it inside of us. Who, who can't trust and, and accept? Who can't learn to do that? And I know you mentioned some situations earlier, maybe we lose our bearings of what to trust, but we can still trust in that moment that we need help, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I know for sure I need help, so I'm going to trust to go ask for help, right? And then start there. I'm never going to not trust to do that, right? Mm-hmm. You're always trusting to work on your own development, to ask for help, to do those things. Never do you waver in that. That's how everyone has access to this. And that's how you'll see players that maybe aren't physically as gifted as others, but they're amazing players because they've mastered this. Mm. You look at Steph Curry, Trey Young, Damian Lillard. Those are reasonable human beings. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm like Aaron Gordon's not a reasonable human being. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you say, like hey, do you like Aaron Gordon? It's like, I can't be six nine and jump <laughs> over mascots, man. Like, that's crazy. Like, right. But six foot, six one, six two with an incredible focus and a great skill set in basketball, that's reasonable. Mm-hmm. Dame Lillard, Trey Young, and Steph Curry have mastered mindset. You look at Trey Young in the playoffs last year, he was missing like, he was like two for 17. It was still present and trusted. That's elite. That's like the rarest of the rare. Steph does that day. And no one saw them. No, they weren't picked first in the draft. Right. So it's not like we know how to assess this yet. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? It's only later on that we realize, wow, they're so good at trusting and accepting. Turns out that's the master skill. Yeah. If you look back though, you could, you could see Steph doing that when he was 17 or 18. You could see Dame doing that in Oakland. I'm from the Bay area. They knew about him here. He just wasn't six foot nine. Right. You know what I mean? So you're not, but he had to master mental skills, you know? Mm-hmm. So at least that's what I see. That's like yeah. what I, see, you know, that's so awesome. I've, I've really enjoyed our time together, Graham. I could talk to you all day and like, <laughs> right on Jenna. It's in my life at day in and day out. We could do this, you know, therapy session. Every Let's go. I had to, um, but I want people to know where they can go access like some of this content because I listen yeah. to your beats with your meditation. Those are so much better than the meditations I was listening to before. Let me, <laughs> okay, go just, tell, just go train the mind.com. That's, that's my main hub. I'm putting up the meditations on there. Um, all the workouts. You could also go to graham That's like my personal website. So that always has all the new stuff I'm doing, the new products I'm making. And then my music name is Graham the Guide. So Graham the Guide, I'm hoping within two weeks, all the major streaming services, I'll have all my music up there. So that's where you'll be able to get the meditations. I call them MVPs and all the other coaching I do. It should be able to be streamed super easy. Right now, I was just like texting you the MP3s, you know? <laughs> like, I loved just it. Kind of- I loved it. I listened to several. <laughs> okay, okay, cool. Yeah, they were great. Right on, right on. Yeah, I found that, man, a lot of the players, I, I, I would do the MVPs, meditate, visualize with powerful self-talk. I would do it over the phone with players. And I could do it in like these little five, 10-minute windows before they play. And I was like, wow, this is what they tend to like. Just these little five, 10-minute things that kind of get you present, get you feeling good, mm-hmm. you know, get you, get you in your body. Okay, I'm here in the moment. I got to trust, you know, kind of get you warmed up mentally. Mm-hmm. So then I just started working with some cool producers. And I was like, man, just put some beats behind them. And now we got something. So you could just be in the stands and your headphones or whatever, and no one even knows, but you're getting mental training. Right. And you're just, you know what I mean? Sitting there grooving, but you're getting all the good stuff. And if you do an MVP every day, we're talking like five or 10 minutes, start doing that three or four months in a row and watch what happens. Right. You know what I mean? You start building, you start building. This is mental training is a practice every day. This isn't a quick fix. Mm-hmm. This is, Hey, I've been putting in 10 minutes a day now for a while. Stuff's getting better. I'm way better at being present. I'm way better at palms down. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And then you wrote a book too. Oh yeah. I wrote play present. I wrote a book. I wrote a book called play present. It's when I realized Aaron Gordon was going to the NBA. I was like, Oh my God. I had like, it got so real for me. Yeah. And I was like, Oh my God, I, we got to have a language we talk to. So it made me write a book and I got, I wrote it. It's a playbook. It's 50 pages long. I worked with an artist, so it's got a whole bunch of pictures. I wrote it like to myself as a 15-year-old. I was like, I want a picture book with a series of plays, real simple, real easy. The first play is win, what's important now. The second play is play present. And the third play is next play speed. You just start with those three plays, and that's like the foundation of your life. Focus on what you can't control, be present. And then when you're not present, come back. Like if you were playing again and you were like, I turned it over, looked at my coach, next play speed would be like, I'm actually coming back to where my feet are, where my body is, and I'm going to trust my game again. Mm-hmm. And then and you would have been fast the next play speed, mm-hmm. you know, instead of like, oh, I never brought it back. I just lost my focus and I have no next play speed. I've never came back. Right. We want to come back fast, fast, fast. Right. So yeah, I wrote, I wrote the book and uh, that was miserable for me. I'm a natural communicator. 
So working, that's like working on your offhand. I knew if I could write a book, I would be credible for myself. You know, I'd be like, I could prove that I could do that. I could show up and talk for like 12 hours straight. But if I writing a book was like so hard. So I made myself do it. And uh, it was rough. I don't know if I'll ever write another book. I'm cool. I don't never have to again. I did it. But it's like, it's like working on your weakness. You know, it's uh, it was hard, but I'm really glad I did it. Well, don't, you're, you got to lean into the fear, Graham. There you go, Jenna. <laughs> you're right. The fear. You're right. You're writing that book. No, I'm just kidding. But um, I will definitely have to check it out. I appreciate your time today. I personally learned so much. I, right and I mean, just even just hearing about Aaron and his journey and how far he's come and all the other players that you've worked with and, and how, how much this affects them and is yeah. so real for them if you could say anything to fans what what would your kind of final word Man. be when, when speaking apply, to fans? apply it to your life this as much as i work with players i work on myself with this i'm a father i'm a husband this is what we we all of us need in our lives every day the ability to be present to have grace to learn how to move on to the next play right to not do this but do this i would say hey everybody let's practice let's all practice this right Let's all work on this stuff. The reason I went into basketball is because I knew basketball was kind of popular and it could help popularize mental training, right? That's all it was. So I would tell everyone, hey, let's all practice this. And what you do now is you look down at your feet and if you can see your feet, you go, okay, I got to be where my feet are. And, and you just start practicing being where your feet are in life as best you can. Because okay. sometimes we want to be anywhere else but the present, but we got to go, you know what? I'm going to be here and let me practice being present. And now and just know we're all doing it together. And no one's perfect at it at all. So think progress over perfection, you know? <laughs> Thank you so much, Graham, for being here. Congrats on all your success and everything you're doing. It's amazing work. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. <laughs>